Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hi, Joshua. I don't know why uh, that sounded weird. <laughs> it's okay. You're so excited to see me. It makes me very happy. Um, no, that's not true at all, because you're actually excited to see our very special guest. You know him. You love him. It's Matt Kelly from Horror Movie Night and a million other things. <laughs> back for only the second time, because Josh and Joe don't like me. <laughs> no, no, it can't be the no. second time. I think this is the I think the only other time was Monster Squad at Joshua's house. Oh my gosh, I think you're right. I think I always think we've done more because of being like we've done that. We other just talk together. constantly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're always cool. working on stuff together. Yeah. This is oh my gosh. second appearance. That seems yeah, wow. that seems wrong. We're gonna on have to Fright, rectify that in on the future. Fright School twice and never got to discuss an R-rated movie. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so yeah. true. Yeah, because you're actually, I mean, we'll get into it, but you know, dear listener, and you know, those viewing on Patreon, thank you so much for your support. Um, you know, welcome to October 2022. We are uh doing a whole deep dive into gateway horror, and you're like the very first person we ever actually discussed like gateway horror with monster squad. So yep. uh, I will link that episode, you know, make sure you go back and listen to that. Cause that was a really, really fun, uh, fun conversation and uh, gave me definitely a new appreciation for monster squad, but um, we'll get into, we'll get into our Beetlejuice chat in the second half. First of all, just how's everybody doing? How, how, what's, what's new in Matt Kelly's world? Uh, I got to marry uh, the host of one of my podcasts this weekend actually uh brooke from roaring 20s uh got married to her uh longtime fiance boyfriend and now husband andy and they asked me to officiate it so we oh, cool. uh we went went all the way down to Asheville, north carolina uh gorgeous gorgeous area they got married on a barn uh, in a barn uh but they <laughs> Let's imagine on, on top got, of a barn. <laughs> yeah, they got married at a farm. The reception was in a barn. The ceremony was in front of this giant tree that had been on the property for like 100 years or something like that. So it was this wow. giant walnut tree that we were standing underneath. Um, it was very cute. Her dogs were part of the procession. Like, her, uh, you know, there was way too many kids, actually. <laughs> I, I've decided I don't like weddings with a large supply of children. Um, but it was a nice little... It was the first time Brooke, Andrew, and myself from the Roaring Twenties were in the same room together since last year because wow. Andy Andrew moved like two and a half hours away. So we had a really good time. The food was unbelievable. It was a uh, Southern barbecue, so it was some brisket, oh. some chicken, mashed potatoes, mac and cheese, like a vegetable medley. The appetizers were little teacups of tomato soup with a slice of grilled cheese that you could dip into it. Uh, mm, it was that sounds delightful. <laughs> and we just they started playing those '90s and 2000s club bangers, and it was just a four-hour dance party. Uh, it was everything you could ever dream of in a in a wedding. So does Brooke I'm, I'm live there now? The no, that's just an area she's always loved. So okay. we all we all. Did the 10 hour drive south and then the 10 hour drive back north uh to, wow. to celebrate that wedding. Yeah. How cool. How long have you been officiating weddings? So 
Here's the fun thing. I am not actually legally able to marry people. Uh, this, oh. is second, <laughs> this is the second one that I've officiated. But but in most cases, I'm like, yo, just go to the courthouse that morning, get like actual married, and then I'll put on like the smoke and mirrors show right. <laughs> for, for the attendance. Because I've got a couple of things. A, you know, I, I do go to a church and it feels weird, like just kind of taking the pastor's gig from... <laughs> from them without like having any of the legal precedent to do so. And two, <laughs> I don't know, like the universal life church stuff. I'm just, I'm waiting for the day that like one divorce brings up that they were just married by somebody's friend that like bought a certification on the internet that said that they could marry people and the, and it doesn't hold up in court. And then all of these people's marriages are suddenly like, Invalidated. Valid. Yeah. Like, so it's like, wow. do the courthouse thing. Make sure that it's like actually legally safe because I don't trust the piece of paper from the internet. And uh, and then let me. I'll I'll make sure that there's some laughter and some tears as I'm up there giving giving a talk. And my guarantee is, unless your vowels run long, ten minutes or less. That's that's how quickly I, we get that thing moving. I do not <laughs> want to. I don't want to be standing up there any longer than I have to. So I try to keep it going quick. I guess they're lucky you're not a Catholic, you know? Yeah. So. Oh my God. The worst. <laughs> I went to a Greek Orthodox wedding one time and I, oh, yeah. it was, it was my best friend. I, she's probably heard me complain about this on so many podcasts <laughs> that she's ready to like punch a wall. It was just so long. I never realized how long it, it was like 90 minutes. It was ungodly long. Uh, thankfully there are a couple that I love and they're still together and they're great. So, you know, it was worth the sacrifice, but yeah. That was yeah, me. My, How about y'all? My brother's <laughs> wedding was like, it was really quickly, but it's kind of the same thing or really quick, really quickly. Yeah. Um, and there were like 10,000 children there. So it was like, you know, it was really fast, but it was also like, I was drowning in kids and I'm just like, so, oh my gosh. So. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to send it to you guys, to, to both of you. Um, if you have the ability to do like the motion pictures like where you uh, on the iphone where you can hold down the picture and see oh yeah the live yeah yeah Yeah, the live um when we were taking photos when we were taking i was taking a bunch of photos of brooke and andrew sitting in these peacock chairs with like the mountain behind them and one of the kids came running by chasing a giant bubble and he was yeah and he yelled the bubble is coming but andrew heard the devil is coming and like (laughs) And if you see his face, like, if you watch the live, you just see him, like, what is, ha- like, he looks horrified that a child just came by screaming, the devil is coming. <laughs> um, and then shortly after, another child projectile vomited. So the devil most certainly was coming to that party. Uh, I'm delighted so- by all of this. That oh, yeah, no, it was a very funny. unholy matrimony, uh, for <laughs> sure, going on. But yeah, it was it was a great time. I'm I'm still riding on cloud nine from that. Even after ten That's hours so cool. alone in the car with my music, I I yeah. feel good about what I did. So. That's awesome, Joe. What, how about what you if, too? I never see you. I want to know what you've been up to, <laughs> Joe. What have you been up to? Um, I am I'm just you've had a hellacious first week of I, work yeah, or two weeks or whatever. I've had a f- very uh, busy <laughs> two weeks at work. Um, I am. Sitting alone in my room in silence. Uh, I've been binging um, the prequel fantasy show about a woman with long blonde hair, um, which I could be talking oh, about yes. House of the Dragon. I could be talking about Rings of Power, Lord of the Rings, yeah, Rings of which Power. Which one? 
Which one are you? <laughs> uh, I'm talking about both of them. I'm watching both. Oh. <laughs> um, I've reached this point. So I've been actually keeping track of every TV show and movie that I, well, every TV show full completed series that I've started and finished in the, um, this year. And if it's a new season that I've started in a previous year, I put that it's the new season, but there's a lot of shows that I've like watched from the beginning in order to get caught up on their current seasons. Like what we do in the shadows was like that. The boys yeah. when I had COVID was like that. Um, and so now I'm at a place where like I completed at the beginning of the year, I was finishing up, uh, I was, I was starting from the beginning Cobra Kai and finishing to get caught up into the new season. And then they released another season of Cobra Kai, like a couple weeks ago, um, in September. So I am now at a point where the list is starting to like go back on itself because I've been doing this for so long. I've been, I, I made a weird decision a couple months ago. I was like, I'm going to watch all of mash because like, I do like weird stuff like that. And oh, Jeffrey time, would love you. He would love yeah, to hang out and watch mash all day. With I, you. That's what I enjoy it. It's, it's fine. Yeah. But it, what happens is that every season is like 22 episodes and there's 11 of them. And I'll yeah. be like halfway through, like, that's my thing. When I turn on Hulu, I'm there to watch mash. And then out of nowhere, it'll be like, ooh, new season of Only Murders in the building. And I'm like, well, I guess the match <laughs> is being tabled for a little bit while I watch this instead. Um, my my new I, I should I talked all about that wedding. I didn't mention the my biggest obsession right now is that it's October. We're in the middle of great British baking show season, and <laughs> I am so invested in these bakers this season. <laughs> I don't But am I, I alone in that? that I don't know. Joe or Joe. You, uh, oh, oh, wow. No. How could you deny yourself the wholesomeness of a bunch of British people helping each other bake? <laughs> like, yeah, I should. I should watch <laughs> it. That actually might be really good for me. I need to find <laughs> I need to find something like that because I was like, I realized I watched so much like true crime, horror, thriller, you know, and then I go to class and I'm talking about, you know, therapy and, you know, having these deep, you know, conversations. So it's like I have nothing that's like just a fun light watch you know because my I idea of a, like a fun light watch is like to watch a horror comedy or something yeah, like that about i legitimately movie, you know, like, you know. i legitimately was in pajamas crying last night watching the newest episode because because like they're just all so sweet to each other so like they have these different challenges the one challenge was they had to make a a cookie in the shape of a masquerade mask and it had to stand up and hold its own weight Oh, and this like grandmother was building this beautiful mask, but she ultimately didn't put enough batter in it. So she went to help another contestant and then turned around and saw that the mask had caved in on itself. And she's sitting there crying and all of the bakers stopped what they were doing to try to help her piece her mask back together. And I'm like, that is the difference between a British cooking show and an American cooking show, because the American cooking show, they'd be like, ha ha, one more down. Like they'd just right. be so, they'd be riding high on like, ah, fuck them. But they're like, no, you need to be able to compete, compete with the rest of us. And like really tried to like, and I'll let you watch the final if they succeeded, but they tried to, try to put the cookie back together for, her and it was like, 
I'm just sitting there crying. I'm like, they just all love each other so much and their shared love of baking. (laughs) (laughs) You're that girl in Mean Girls. It's like, she doesn't even go here. It's like, I just have a lot of feelings. I got a lot of feelings. (laughs) My brother sent me a video today that said Jim Henson's first and last time performing Rainbow Connection. And I said, is this going to make me cry? And he said, you're you. Of course it is. (laughs) So, but I respect that. I, I, you know, I, I've always loved that about you. You are, you are some, you are like the new, the Renaissance man, you know, like, <laughs> Thank you. you know, you're like in touch with, you know, your feelings, you're not, you're not afraid of them. And like, that is such a, um, you know, a necessity in our culture, you know, <laughs> you're the Renaissance man. like relax yeah. about the you know, like emotional stuff. Yeah. I'm Danny DeVito. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say you're Danny DeVito. <laughs> Joe, Matt, so get out ask- of my head. Get out of my fucking head, Matt. <laughs> so, Joe, I, I have a question for you, though. So you mentioned that you were watching Cobra Kai. Did you fall into the same pit that I am now where I feel like I'm watching out of necessity more than enjoyment with the newest couple seasons of Cobra Kai? <laughs> so I haven't, uh, full disclosure, I haven't, as of recording this, I haven't started the new season. But mm-hmm. like, yes, correct. I'm very much <laughs> like watching because out of necessity, I think that like this is one of those like you know you either die the hero or live yourself long enough to become the villain situations <laughs> yeah. um and, and that's what we're seeing and like we haven't i don't know if the new season does it and they talked about it briefly in other seasons but like we haven't meaningfully addressed the like appropriation the cultural appropriation yeah. of it all like we're just supposed to accept that like daniel larusso is like sincere like sincerely loves like bonsai trees and you know eats sashimi and like it's so strange how like we have made mr miyagi even in death is this magical asian person to him it's it's also like so i have these different tv shows right as Joshua has implied, I have way too many podcasts to juggle in my life. So, like, TV shows have to be hey, part. I'm just, in- I'm in awe. I'm in awe. It's yeah. not judgment. No, no, no. I'm, I'm like, not. Wow. I'm not taking that as shade. It's true. <laughs> because, like, my TV watching has to literally be parsed out into like stuff that I put the laptop down and pay attention to, and stuff that becomes background noise. Mm-hmm. And every show starts off in category one, but a lot of them shift eventually into category two. And every season, the Cobra Kai just shifts into that category too, quicker and quicker and quicker for me. Like I, I pay attention to episode one, and then by like episode two, I'm like, how invested do I really need to be on this? I could be editing an episode of Weird Algorithm right now, like, and, and it's just <laughs> background noise while I'm doing other stuff. But like I mentioned, only murders in the building. Like that was a okay for thirty minutes. Everything's off. I'm paying attention. I'm going to solve this mystery before Steve Martin gets there. Like that is. Like, <laughs> Like it, it, they do fall into those buckets for me constantly, but I'm glad to hear that I'm not alone in that, that, that Joe is also like, well, I've already signed up for this. So I'm going to like, my friend told me that the new season of you is coming out and I, and I was like, I'm not going to watch that, but I'm definitely going to watch it. Like, I know that I didn't like the last two seasons, but they, I've watched more than I should have already. So now I have to watch it till it's over. <laughs> Wait, you didn't like the last two seasons? I feel like when they shift it from Lifetime or Hallmark or whatever it was originally on to Netflix, somewhere along the lines are like, Joe should be super sloppy with every crime that he commits now. Like that dude leaves a ton of breadcrumbs that just infuriate me on every single thing. And I don't don't know. There's, 
It's weird. I don't know. I, I love it. I love the next, I love the Netflix seasons mainly because they got to be, I mean, also Penn Badgley, like, you know, Otter of My yeah. Dreams, like, you know, just, it got to be. Look, the people are pretty to look know, at. That's <laughs> why I watched it. <laughs> the Patreon, the Patreon subscribers got to see Joshua's disdain on his face. <laughs> It's, yeah, that's no. what everything is about for you. Like, if there's not somebody fuckable on the show, like, why watch it? Oh, my God. I watch plenty yeah. of shows where there's no one <laughs> I, fuckable. I, do you, though? I don't know. I feel like we talked yes. about fuckableness. I feel lot. like the nature of television <laughs> is that they have to have someone that's fuckable on there. Oh, there you go. <laughs> like, thank you. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Well, speaking of speaking of that, is anybody watching Dahmer, uh, Monster, the Jeffrey Monster, Dahmer, Jeffrey, Monster, Serial Killer, Cannibal, Monster, Story, whatever the fuck it's called. It's got like 10 titles. <laughs> Is that, has anybody started watching that? I haven't yet, but I had someone message me about it and they kind of made me somewhat interested because they're like, they're not, you know, they say like they're not even attempting to try to make this person someone you sympathize with, which is great. Right. Like they're really actually taking time to focus on the victims and not just make it like a a quick reference within the story. So, you know, like that's kind of the thing that made me start to back away a little bit from true crime is that they really started to get like the the more that like true crime became a personality trait, the more it uh, turned into like a little bit of this, like, Oh, the serial killers are just misunderstood. And if we could only understand the like psychology of it. And it, it kind of like a lot of those shows just kind of like, they're like, yeah. And then they murdered like 18 people. And it's like, Oh, <laughs> like, I feel like that should be the story, not like right. this person's origin story. So, so hearing that made me be like, okay, maybe, maybe I'll give that one a shot a little bit. Like, I don't. I, I started really liking Netflix. Started producing a lot more true crime shows, just about the catching of of the person, and less yeah. about like their crime spree. And those have become really fascinating to follow. Yeah. It's like seeing like how much work really does go into like how many people are involved in having to like meticulously follow all this stuff, making sure that all of these different police departments are properly sharing evidence and information with each other so that like nothing gets missed because any little tiny thing could be the clue that like connects. Like that stuff has become way more fascinating to me than like a profile of like, Hey, over the next four episodes, we're going to tell you everything about John Wayne Gacy so that you feel like, well, maybe he's just misunderstood. Like that's not, I'm not interested in that anymore, but it sounds like Dahmer's not that, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, I've been, I, we've watched three episodes of it as of this release. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I think they do a really, so far they're doing a good job. I know that some of the later episodes, I think actually focus like on like just one of the, you know, one of the victims like stories. Um, Nisi Nash is doing a really good job in it. Um, my only, you know, this is always my complaint of any of these kinds of stories is maybe this sounds weird, but like Jeffrey Dahmer was very uh, forthcoming. You know, he was like, um, oh shoot, what was his name? Dennis. Ugh, I can't remember, but like we've had a few of these guys who have like talked about stuff. were very explicit, you know, kind of explained things, how things went down. And like these shows still insist on like over dramatizing and like doing things. That's like, well, that's not, you know, like the, the story is fine on it. Like the story is terrifying on its own. Like you don't need to add all of this extra drama and 
stuff to it. And I feel like mm-hmm. they're kind of, you know, Ryan Murphy just can't help himself. I feel like, you know, and there's just, there's stuff in it that, I mean, we'll see how I feel once I finish it, but you know, there've been like other movies where they've made about Dahmer and Gacy and Ed Gein, where it's like, it becomes like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something. It's like, we don't need all of like the story itself is horrifying enough without you adding all of this extra stuff to it. So I mm-hmm. feel like they're adding things to some of his crimes that people will talk about and will think are what actually happened. And it wasn't, you know, based yeah. on evidence and based on like what, Dahmer told them happened. That's like we have that view. And again, that's it, whether or not you trust, like, is he an unreliable narrator, possibly? Um, you know, that we're just gonna make up things and add all this extra drama that like, yeah. he himself said that that's not how like it went down. And they they have it in particularly one of the deaths. They had all this like stuff that I'm just like, I don't know, that's weird. That's weird to add this like commentary, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It was weird. But I mean, atmospheric wise, all of that, I, I am enjoying it. I do love serial killer shit. So, I mean, I won't, you know, won't um, lie about that. But it did turn me away. Exactly what you're talking about. I thought about getting my degree in forensic psych. And yeah. so like SDSU has a program here that's like, you know, you can get like sort of, you know, like a a thing, whatever in forensic. And the school I'm at has a doctorate in like forensic psychology and stuff. But I just, yeah, I don't want to spend my life thinking like, defending these guys. I'd rather work on the other side yeah. with victims, um, you know, and I also didn't want to spend my whole life working with the police, which is a whole other issue. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's very much that what you're saying, like, you know, they're just misunderstood people <laughs> that yeah. like irreversibly, you know, altered yeah. the lives Ru- of countless people. <laughs> yeah. Ruined multiple families, entire existence and lives, but you know, yeah. their dad was mean to them. <laughs> you're like, you're like, uh, my dad right. was mean to me sometimes too. I didn't like massacre family. Right, right, like, right. Yeah. And I'd yeah. rather have conversations about that. Like, how do we, you know, prevent those sorts of situations that like build this kind of stuff? And again, yeah. it doesn't always lead to, you know, but anyways, I was just curious if anybody else was watching it. Um, but you know, again, you you are better about managing the too much horror in your life, maybe. So with the British baking show. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, um, yeah. Sounds sounds like people are doing as well as they. What is it, Jeff? Uh, um, not Jeff. Appropriately uh, fine. Appropriately fine. Eric gave <laughs> us. That's our that's our uh, 2022 motto. So, all right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be back to talk about Beetlejuice. I'm so excited. Hey, watch that name. Don't say it two more times. All right, dangerous. Got to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, I'm Chris Fafalius and I'm the producer of Chris to Makes a Podcast and the host of the One Hit Thunder Podcast. And I'm Matt Kelly, host of Horror Movie Night and the producer slash the head of content for the Geekscape Podcasting Network. Between the two of us, we have, believe it or not, 25 years of podcasting experience and we want to help you start your own podcast. We know podcasting and we want to share that knowledge with you. So whether you're new to podcasting or you want some feedback on your currently active podcast, we want to help. Or perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work. Well, we can help you with that also. You can check out our website at weknowpodcasting.com for more information. We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality. All right. Welcome back. As I said earlier, this is the first in our October 2022, you know, 2022 spooky season episodes. We are dedicating to what we call gateway horror, um, you know, horror for kids, maybe, uh, you know, lighter 
scary stuff. <laughs> and I thought the perfect place to start is with a personal favorite. Um, obviously, got shirt here. I got my little my little. You got everything. Doll. I got this lovely. It, it, since you can, you know, this is just you got to subscribe to Patreon so you can see the stuff. Um, my geeky tiki uh, sandworm, you know, thing. Anyways. Love, love me some Beetlejuice, and I'm so excited that we got Matt here today to talk about it. Oh, Are we really just doing this so you could, like, show all the merch? Like, you know. <laughs> no, because if we wanted that, I would have been in the West Craven Memorial Library, and you would have seen all my Funko Pops and my uh, Monster High dolls and my makeup, all my Beetlejuice shit. Yes. We're keeping it, we're keeping it controlled to just a few things. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's so, a whole Patreon bonus show. After each episode, exactly. you can do a full discussion and review of your your uh toys <laughs> and collectibles based <laughs> on collection. That. Yeah. It's like... Um, so yeah, so we are we are doing a uh we're talking about Beetlejuice, uh, you know, this 1988. Children, uh, you know, story of a uh, yuppie couple who die and they uh, hire or whatever conjure uh, a bio exorcist in order to get out the get the New York artsy insane people that uh, take over their house. And uh, yeah, I'm so stoked to to chat about this. As usual, Joe, we'll start with you. Do you have do you have a memory of seeing Beetlejuice for the first time? Um, I do. I do. I was just, I'm, I'm just surprised that you called them a yuppie couple. Like, They're totally they... yuppies. I don't know. That's young that's urban how... professional. <laughs> well, I mean, that's how they're always described in all of this stuff. That's, that's always been my definition of a yuppie. Like ever since I was a kid, when people say yuppie, I picture like Barbara and Adam. Like, really? Yeah, I don't know. I, cause like, I, I always saw the yuppie culture was like Patrick Bateman. Yeah, that's mm. what I'm thinking. Because like yuppie means young urban professional. Like that's oh, well. Well, maybe I've learned something new. Maybe I've been misinterpreting yeah, it. Yeah, like life. yeah, I, I figured they were rustic. I, I would say that Otho could maybe be a yuppie, but but even then, yeah, he's like an art already got like an art scene. Yeah, Andy Warhol inspired crew. Um, maybe Robert Goulet, maybe Robert Goulet started as a yuppie. Uh, (laughs) Maybe, well, definitely like, well, that's the thing is that I don't even know. I I don't know if anyone in here would be a yuppie. Sorry. I was just, I just like, I never would have considered them yuppies. Well, maybe because it's their vacation home. Right. So like, there's nothing more yuppie than having a vacation home. We never but see is them. it? No, but it's not their vacation home. The whole no, point but... is that they said they're going on vacation, but they're just right. hanging out, setting up the house. Mm. They having people a will leave them alone. Yeah, this was the original <laughs> staycation. Got it. Okay. <laughs> um, to your original question, Joshua, uh, the, <laughs> I do have a, I do have very fond memories actually of Beetlejuice. Um, I know ne- I didn't consider it horror. Uh, at the time in my limited definition that I was working with uh, at the time of uh, when I watched it as a kid. Um, This is one of those movies that, um, and I'll talk about it in in a future episode as well. This is one of those movies that I watched during like a um, HBO free weekend um, at my house and like watching. And it was also cool because like I watched the Beetlejuice cartoon um, and we'll, we can talk about that a little bit. I watched the Beetlejuice cartoon having no idea that it was based off of the film. And then watching the film was such a completely like strange experience because I was like, how did they make, <laughs> how did they make a, a, a cartoon out of this? Like this is, it, it felt more, it was definitely like, 
a little bit be above and be uh, above me in terms of things that were happening, especially like with the ending of Beetlejuice wanting to marry Lydia and all of that. So I thought it was just, uh, but yes, I do have memories of it. And I remember having like a good time. I remember thinking like, this is scary, but it's not because it's funny because there's jokes and it's got like that guy from the hunt for red October in it, but it's also got Gina Davis and, not knowing who Gina Davis was at the time, but this was my first entry for of me for her uh, to make me a lifelong fan. Yeah, it's just a whole. It, it was. It's a good time, and it does bring back a lot of fun childhood memories. I love that. Um, and you know, you're absolutely right. The uh, the Dietzes are the yuppies, so I'm just totally backwards on my whole thing. <laughs> Whatever. Um, I I don't know. I still think of the of uh, Adam and Barbara as boring. I guess. I <laughs> yeah. No, they're yeah. definitely boring. That, that is that like, is uh, true. The house is way cooler after Delia moves in. But whatever. Anyways, um, <laughs> Matt, what about what about you? What what are your original like Beetlejuice so I, memories, if you have them? I genuinely don't remember if I saw the movie or the cartoon first. I'm going to assume I saw the cartoon first. Mm. But uh, I've talked about my my Uncle Craig on uh, Horror Movie Night a couple times. And I'm sure my brothers talked about my Uncle Craig, too, uh, who was just at the time. I did not realize that I that he was indirectly like my horror spiritual guide. Um, he was the person who showed me Monster Squad. And he also made me a VHS tape of Beetlejuice, which was a copy of his VHS tape. I wish I still had this VHS tape because he literally went out of his way to write Beetlejuice in the font of like <laughs> the way it's like that almost like pseudo cursive, like strict, like straight lines. Um, so my big memory of Beetlejuice is actually that that VHS tape started with an advertisement for the Beetlejuice soundtrack. <laughs> so like, wow. I, I have this vivid memory of that soundtrack from this, but I somehow enjoyed this movie, even though I hated anything that was even remotely like faces being ripped off or, or whatever. I was totally fine with this movie and never, never bothered me. I think because of the cartoon connection. Um, and I would watch this probably two to three times a week easily. Like it was, it was this and Pee-wee's big adventure. And it wasn't until much later that I realized the Tim Burton connection of both of them. I was just like, these are the two greatest movies ever made. And I would just watch them all the time. I would bring them to people's houses and be like, we got to watch Beetlejuice. Like uh, the infamous, the infamous story uh, is when I was three, actually, I guess, yeah, I was three. So I saw this before the cartoon. Um, my mom took my little sister to the playground and I was there with her and I saw a tree at the playground and I ran up to it and I said, mom, look, I'm Beetlejuice. And I kicked it as hard as I could. And I yelled, nice fucking model at the top of my lungs. And then I grabbed my crotch and went honk honk. And my mom grabbed me and ran me to the car and never <laughs> went back to that park. She was so mortified by what had happened. And she said, she was like, there's like one line in the whole movie that is inappropriate for a, for a child to be yelling out. And that, of course, was your favorite line that you just suction cupped yourself to. Um, but yeah, that was I, I've I have always it's one of those movies where because I watched it so young, there was like this whole weird like watching it in my late teens, early 20s phase where you're just like, oh, Beetlejuice is hanging outside of a brothel. <laughs> like, like there's these but, things that like went right over your head as yeah. a kid. That now you're watching like 
oh, like that's a little weird. Or like, you know, I must have been almost 30 before I realized, oh, the receptionist was like a beauty queen who killed herself. Like, like stuff like that just didn't click. I was like, oh, whatever. That's their thing. Whatever. She's, I don't know. She's just like an angel. I don't know what's going on. Like I'm five, but like, as I've, as I've gotten older, I, I think this movie is still to this day, absolutely incredible. Like it is, Mm -hmm. this is to me, a lot of people will jump on like Edward Scissorhands as like Mm. Tim Burton at his finest, but I really think it's Beetlejuice. I think Beetlejuice captures every one of Tim Burton's visual cliches, but it was when he was still like a young, hungry director trying to prove himself where it was like, you know, he had already made Pee Wee, but this was the first one that felt like truly Tim Burton. Like Pee Wee feels like the combination of Paul Rubens and Tim Burton's mind mm-hmm. to create right. something. Yeah. And even though he didn't write this script, he saw that he could bring what he's always envisioned in his head into this movie. And it's like that, that German expressionism just everywhere yeah. in this movie. And like the claymation that's like, cheesy but perfect and like these like it's just so good like when people talk about the claymation this they're usually talking about the sandworm but even just the claymation of the shadows of them morphing their faces Mm -hmm. just it works so much of this movie still works Mm -hmm. what almost 40 years after it was released at this point like we're getting close to a 40 year anniversary of this movie yeah Um, and it's a great entry it's a great entry level into horror so um, on top of, you know, producing podcasts for porn stars and making podcasts about horror movies, I work at a church for their youth group. Um, <laughs> and a few of the kids graduated recently and they're now college students. And the one girl reached out to me and was like, I know you love horror movies. I've never watched horror movies. Would you be able to make me a list of like 31 movies that I should watch in the month of October to like, mm. see if I'm into horror movies. So I, she was like, please don't go anything too heavy. So this was on the list of 31 movies. I was like, you should check out Beetlejuice. Like, uh, I'm, I don't want to say anything else because I'm sure a lot of them you'll be talking about in this series. <laughs> you know, it, it was I pulled a little bit of like season one Fright School where I was like, ah, you should you might not love it, but like you should watch like the original Night Living Dead and Psycho oh, yeah. and like some of those like kind of. 100%. Per, yeah, like those early pieces. I think the crate the, the most like bonkers stuff i gave her was like the thing and and nightmare on elm street but then i also tried to focus on like she's an 18 year old girl so like check out happy death day check out tragedy girls tech check out like some of the more modern stuff that will like and i my big advice to her was like do not watch them in the order that it's listed because the order was just like from the oldest to the newest i'm like jump around on that list because if you just start with the two black and white movies, you're not going to watch the other mm-hmm. 29 movies that are on the list. But like, if you watch happy death day as one of the first, like two or three movies, you're going to be like, Oh, that was fun. And then the rest of it will be adventure to see, like, will I find anything else as fun as I had with this movie? Like, I don't know. But yes, this is, this to me is if you're not sure if your kid is going to like horror movies, start with Beetlejuice. And if Beetlejuice yeah. scares them, then you've already got your answer that you probably should not move any further. But if they're <laughs> having a blast with it, then it's like, okay, they, they're not freaked out by the giant claymation worms. They're not freaked out by Gina Davis holding Alec Baldwin's head in a closet. 
like the right. eyeballs <laughs> yeah the eyeballs like there's there's some freaky sh- freaky things that happen in this this movie but uh it's still so good it's just so good it's such a yeah good movie. no absolutely i i you know i now that i think about it i should have called my um grandmother well my brothers and sisters grandmother uh but uh and asked her if she had a memory because i realized i never asked my mom like if she remembers me seeing this for the first time, because I don't have a memory of it. If it just, there was always Beetlejuice, you know, there was always Freddy Krueger, you know, like they're just like, you know, for me growing up. Um, but yeah, it was like Beetlejuice, Mannequin and Elvira were like my three like movies that yeah. I loved as a kid. Um, and Mannequin, I think I talked about it on another episode, but like, they didn't. I somehow saw Mannequin on my own without any adult supervision because they were really confused because I was running around the house like freezing in positions, and they're like, "What the? What's wrong with with Joshua? Something's going I've, on." But then they I've found actually, it in the movie. <laughs> I've never, I've never seen Mannequin, but I've seen Mannequin Two on the move multiple oh, times because that delight. movie is a delight. <laughs> yes, I love that. Mo- that's another one that's like shamefully like I, that is a great like if I don't want to watch something scary, just something like stupid fun. Like I'll watch Mannequin Two. Oh, and Mannequin, I, I love that. But anyway, so I don't have a conscious memory of ever of ever seeing Beetlejuice for the first time. But like my mom did have stories about me reenacting scenes from it and the dance around the dinner table and all those sorts of things when I was, you know, however old before, before memory set in for me. Um, the soundtrack I did really love my, my grandmother had bought me a copy of the CD, even though we did not have a CD player because like yeah. poor people didn't have those in 1989. <laughs> we didn't it's, get one of those until the nineties. <laughs> and so, I mean, Josh, you're, you're definitely more musical minded than I am as I, I, I would say that I am a fan of music more than I am a musician. Um, but I know that Scott at one point tried to do a console crash of the Beetlejuice theme. And he oh, was just like, so cool. well, he was like, yo, I like when you're listening to that song, you do not realize how fucking insane the structure mm. of that theme song is like, yeah. he's like, it is just like the tempo changes constantly. Like it is just jumping all over the place. Um, but I really think, if not his number one in the contention, like top three greatest musical scores that Danny Elfman has ever worked mm. on. It is. Oh yeah. It is just like, and, and I always think that the, the secret to that is like, yes, we all know, we all remember the Batman theme song, but do you remember any of the other music in Batman? Cause I can pretty much hum almost every musical cue in Beetlejuice. You know what I mean? Like it's like, yeah, just for me, Batman little... returns. Certainly. I love well, the Batman yeah. returns. Well, the, that's the got penguin some has his own little theme. Like yeah, the penguin theme the is cat very woman, her like violins. That's yeah. Just such beautiful. That kind of goes into face to face. So I think that that's, but you're right. That I think that that's stands. a divide is like yeah. there it's easy. I don't want to say it's easy. It is not easy, but it is easy to write the iconic piece of a music score, but to have like a full music score where like, even like the small little things it's, it's why prime example, when, when ghostbusters afterlife came out, one of the things that I remember so many people saying that they loved about it was they got the music cues, right. Mm. And it was like, Mm. and it's not like, Oh, they didn't get the, it's not ghostbusters is more than just like, but, 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 but ghostbusters it's, 
it's just like the the little jazzy piano things or the, like the right. da, 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 like in the background yeah, like yeah, yeah. those are just as iconic to you as that and i feel like beetlejuice is filled with these little musical pieces that are as iconic as the like da 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 da, da. like yeah, that, yeah 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 we grew up on the cartoon we remember that but like there's just even like these little violin pieces or like a part where like a bunch of different woodwind instruments are just playing this like like in the background of scenes that are just like in your head. Yeah. There's some nice, uh, there's some great swells, you know, where it's just like, like pieces. I also think right before they do the seance, there's this really nice, like tinkling, like piano. And, uh, you know, it's like, I can hear it in my head. Yeah. I, I mean, I listen to that soundtrack a lot, so I even know some of the the names of the the tracks. But the track "Showtime," yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. like that little weird circus noise that he makes before it gets sinister is like again perfect. It is yeah. just perfect music. Yeah, no, it's a great synthesis of all of these different things coming together. So yeah, I love the soundtrack. I you know when I when we were able to get because it was like my mom. I mean, we didn't actually own a copy of Beetlejuice because I think it would have driven her insane. So it was like, you can <laughs> you can watch it when it's on TV. And again, movie matinee, played Beetlejuice a lot when I was a kid. That's how I saw it. So actually, really quick to go back to your nice fucking model thing. I don't think I knew that was a thing until I was probably late in my teenage years and I got a copy of Beetlejuice and watched it. And I was like, what? Because I'd only <laughs> ever seen it edited you know, for television yeah. and they never showed that they didn't even bleep it or change it. They just cut it out. So I never yeah. even saw that till I was like grown and I couldn't believe I'm like, what? They changed that. But um, anyways, I, oh shit, I forgot my, what there my was, was, so there's, I don't know how true this is because I don't trust my TV subtitles when I was, I, so when I was a kid on my whole life, I've watched everything with subtitles. I don't know why that has been, the case but it's good to know that if i ever go deaf i'm already like prepped and when i was a kid i would put on the be the beetlejuice vhs tape and i would turn on the subtitles and this was like when i was a little bit older because i was always like yeah there's only that they don't curse in that movie except for the fuck you nice model it's really weird according to the subtitles on my television circa like 1995 when he's trying to get Lydia to say his name he says fuck you just say it and I have tried to hear it ever since then and I can't hear it so I don't know why my TV was just like sure this is what he says in that scene huh. I have to but, I'd have to like listen because it always sounded like he was just like frustrated just yeah. say it you know ah yeah I don't know so we can look listen. for that we can look for that but I mean we can we we did cover this on our movie night and for at least a year afterwards uh we would just keep referencing what is still to me the funniest laugh where he's playing charades to get her to say it and he makes a giant beetle show up in a chair he just goes all right doing yeah. <laughs> the right. little the little claymation <laughs> arm flies up. <laughs> like, yeah. it's so the humor in this is I don't think Tim Burton has ever been funnier than he was in this movie. Like I have enjoyed like Ed Wood, I think is a masterpiece and it's got yeah. some funny lines, but like, this is, this is still, let's say hypothetically, I watched it for the first time in like 1989. Like there are jokes that still make me laugh out loud when I watch it 
now in 2022 it is just it's it's so well done it's such yeah. a well done movie i no, keep I I agree. Like i'm hitting yeah. the same beats over and over again but it's great it's- it's totally fine. That's the, you know, that's kind of the point of these uh, episodes It's kind of just to take a break from our usual, like, I'm not really interested in doing like a academic analysis. Oh, of what Beetlejuice. is Beetlejuice trying to say about the, um, the world? As, as yeah, a no. whole? I, I mean, I I just, I'm nervous though, Josh, you and I are talking a lot. Joe is very quiet over there. I've listened to the last like month of your show is Joe just about to be like, this is the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> and like, None of the character movements make any sense. Like how I don't understand how you could possibly like this, Joe. I want to know more about your feelings. Yes. Having this movie. <laughs> I mean, it's good. It's a good movie. I like it. <laughs> I think that. I mean, you know, this is this is. It's funny to me that we're putting this in a gateway horror because, like, while I did see this as a kid, it was not my. I would not consider this a gateway film for myself. Um, my gateway film. Like, and that's also like, you know, we haven't really defined what that means. It's like, you know, what does that mean? Gateway? Is it just like, is it just for kids? And it gets you, it's the thing that it's the thing that makes you think, oh, like, you know, I could go and look at something else that's spooky or whatever. Cause I've always been fascinated by like the supernatural and, and things. So it's like, I didn't, I don't have that association with Beetlejuice in the same way that like I do with the ring. Like the ring is probably like, it's the, I would consider that the first horror movie that I ever watched, like in, in the classic definition. Right. No. Okay. Um, So yeah, I I, I will, I will respond. (laughs) I I will respond to that. So here's why I would categorize this as a gateway horror for me. Um, I would say that the first horror movie that truly made me a fan of horror movies was when my cousin showed me scream when I was like 10 or 11 years old, like that, that really made me go like, Oh, that's what a horror movie is. And then I wanted to watch a bunch of them. But when I think about the movies that I love the most, the ones that I connect to the most in the horror genre, and then I trace it all back it all stems from Beetlejuice. You know what I mean? Like, I love the big, dumb monster movies. I love claymation in movies. I love, like, these these horror comedies. I love, like, all of, all of these elements that became the stuff that, like, after I saw Scream and I started diving into horror movies as, like, a serious genre, the stuff that I was falling in love with time and time again was stuff that reminded me of Beetlejuice. It was kind of that, like, Mm. Even when I didn't realize it at four, it was me like dipping my toe into stuff that was like on the fringe of of what horror would be for me. Um, I think that that's a big element of it. Like it's like, yeah, like like I said, I was four watching this. I was fine. It's not a scary movie. Poltergeist scared me way before I saw Scream and after I saw Beetlejuice. But I'm not looking for movies like Poltergeist the way that I'm constantly looking for horror movies that have the elements that made me love Beetlejuice, be it like a nice horror comedy, be it like lots of crazy claymation practical effects or just monsters. You know what I mean? Like just the, Mm -hmm. just the design of the sandworm in itself is so cool and so memorable. Like this giant claymation worm with another worm head coming out of it. Like that's the stuff where it's like, I see that in the movie I, it's, I watched, there is a truly horrible made for TV sci-fi movie that I rented when I was a kid called within the rock that the only reason I rented was because the monster on it reminded me vaguely 
of a tremor. And the reason why I watched tremors was that the monster on the box reminded me vaguely of a sandworm. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, there's this whole pacing of all of these horror decisions that at the end of the day stem from, man, I loved Beetlejuice (laughs) as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And I would would just add to that, Joe, because you're, again, when we started the show, the idea was you weren't a lifelong horror fan. So it tracks that you'd be like, yeah, Beetlejuice didn't like make me want to go out and watch horror movies. Like that wasn't, that wasn't your bag, you know? And for me, I don't even know because in my house, there wasn't really an option because my mom's a big horror fan, you know? So like, I definitely, I mean, there's a good chance I saw Nightmare on Elm Street physically before I saw Beetlejuice, but my memory of seeing Beetlejuice is not, is, is different, is stronger, you know, than, mm-hmm. and then, you know, because of the age of when our memory, you know, is developed enough to like, you know, so yeah, I just think of it more as like, you know, if you were like a, a spooky kid, <laughs> you know, like you'd be into Beetlejuice or into some of the other films yeah. that we're talking about. And then it just, it's a natural progression to like watch horror, but, um, but yeah, but continue talking about like your thoughts on Beetlejuice as a whole. And don't uh, worry, I, you know, I won't do anything bad to you. if you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not worried about you, the fandom in general. Um, it, you know, it's, I, again, going back to the cartoon, right? Like, you know, I watched, like, I, I mean, when I was a kid, I watched, like, Ah Real Monsters and mm-hmm. I, Are You Afraid of the Dark? And um, those things were just, like, yeah, they were creepy, scary, but, like, they didn't, I, I don't know, I just never had that. Um, I don't have that kind of affinity for horror that I have now, like a pro like post fright school. Right. And, and that'll be interesting as I like reflect on more of what you said, Matt, of just like, when I seek out films, what is it, what is the, the different elements of the films I seek out combined in total make up what, what is my what what is my the film that i say that i yeah. love so or like the yeah. you know and and so yeah. i will be reflecting on that and then one day you'll get a text from me at like midnight your time and i'll be like hey i know what the i know what my root <laughs> know yeah. what the root is wait i want to so, i just real quick did you say that i mean i get it all real monsters yeah that didn't scare me you tell me that you weren't scared from episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Because I couldn't sleep from some episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark? No, Are You Afraid of the Dark? I used to watch it during the daytime before we would go to church in the afternoon. Oh, see, so, that's like, different. See, you know, I so watched then... it at the proper time they were supposed to at 9.30 on SNCC. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I was like, And I was so... I, I remember it was me and all my cousins would get together in one room and watch it at my grandmother's house. And I was just... There's like four or five episodes that I can vividly remember. They don't scare me now, obviously, because I'm a 36-year-old man. But being like a nine-year-old kid watching it, I was like, sure, Matt, oh, sure. Dude. <laughs> you know, the one specifically I always remembered scaring the shit out of me was the two kids that would hang out in the apartment that like the abandoned apartment in their apartment complex. And then one day there was a bunch of faceless aliens up there, like doing some crazy shit. And it was because one of the kids this whole time was a faceless alien in disguise. And they're like, we need to take you back. And I was like, no, my friends could be aliens. No. <laughs> like, oh dude. no, that's not the one that, that, that sticks with me. The one that sticks with me is, um, T and Tamara, the chameleons. And you don't know okay. which one is the which one. Um, I also and... was very freaked out by the uh, Melissa Joan Hart. I'm cold, kid oh, in the yeah. woods. <laughs> 
Oh my god, Matt. Like, do you know how many times I've referenced I'm cold? And no one, no one gets it. Um, it's so scary until the it. twist of that episode is like, yeah, she just needed to give the ghost a jacket. I'm like, well, that really yeah. tampered down the fear factor that I was feeling yeah. for the last 30 minutes. <laughs> so, yeah. so like, yeah, uh, uh, the the other one I'm thinking about is the one where the kid is um, the kid is really obsessed with death, and he's so obsessed with death that like he can see the dead and commune the dead, like he does, like in a similar way that like you know I am also strange and unusual, like it, it's a Beetlejuice yeah, yeah. related. <laughs> so like he he Very starts nice. like <laughs> he can hear the like radio station that's calling all the souls that have died to the light. And he realizes that like, you know, maybe he shouldn't be, he's like playing with his mashed potatoes and he like buries a piece of chicken in like a mound of mashed potatoes and puts like a, a cross on top of it of carrots. <laughs> and I'm like this kid, but yeah, so I would watch that during the day. I would watch, I watched so weird on the Disney channel, which is like mm, part. So it's weird. not so much horror as it is like supernatural sci-fi, but it's spooky in its Disney channel way. Um, Matt, Do we're going to have to have Eerie a whole Indiana. No, I never Eerie watched Indiana. Indiana. I know now it's like, you know, we're not afraid of the dark. The new podcast yeah. from Matt Kelly yeah, well, and Joe. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, but Joshua, did you ever watch Erie, Indiana? Because that seems like that would have yeah. been up your alley, too. Yeah, Ghostbums, Erie, Indiana. We definitely watched but, them. But by that time, that we first, had seen. Do you remember the very first episode of Erie, Indiana, which was directed by Joe Dante? Was oh, wow. Was the family where their kids never aged because they locked them in giant Ziploc containers every night? <laughs> it's oh, like, oh yeah, and they were like constantly trying. Like it was like it was making fun Sounds of. Familiar. It was making fun of like when people would show up at your house to try to sell you on like the great Tupperware containers that they had, and then it was like, oh, their kids like sleep in Tupperware containers, and it's made them like eternally youthful or something. It was that show is insane and. Starring uh, the, yeah, the Omri, actor who played yeah. Max in uh, Hocus Pocus, which I'm yeah. positive talking about at some point. Oh, yeah. We would definitely be discussing Hocus Pocus uh, and the new Hocus Pocus 2. Oh, my gosh. That only took, you know, 30 years. Um, yeah, I definitely have memories of, of Erie, and Deb, Erie, Indiana being new. But we, again, a lot of those kinds of shows didn't really scare me because, again, the, you know, the either the stories reminded me of actual horror films I'd already seen. Um, because again, like we started watching horror really, really young. So um, I still feel like I'm in pursuit of horror movies that scare me like more than yeah. like, you know, there's iconography like Michael Myers. I don't like his mask and it's like, you know, that's like creepy when somebody with like an all white face is like in the dark. I don't know. That, mm-hmm. that unsettles me. Um, and that goes for I, a lot of things, but well, and to bring it back to Beetlejuice though, I think that that's, that's really the difference. So is like, as you get older, the things that scare you and freak you out are like dramatically different. Right. Mm, you know what I mean? Well, like, yeah. Like now, unfortunately, like the movies that quote unquote scared me is something like hereditary. That's not so much that it scared me as much as it made me feel emotions that I didn't want to be feeling you mm-hmm. know? like it, like an existential it, dreads. Yeah. Like it, it, <laughs> it messed with me in a way that I was like, I don't want to think about like, and I mean, a million of us have talked about this on all, all of our friends who have d- discussed that movie have discussed how honestly the scene where Tony Collette finds out that her daughter is dead is so much more horrifying than any yeah, I mean, of yeah. the supernatural stuff in that movie. It is, I just want to die. I just want to yeah. die. Yeah. Like, 100%. it's just like, oh, my God, like that's as, 
And it's like, that's the stuff that scares me now. Like, it's like, I'm, I'm almost scared to feel the emotions that those movies have the capability of bringing into me because like, I love being scared. Like we're in October right now. Like I love going to haunted attractions, but like, I always say that this is the example of like, what is people always talk about? Like that wasn't scary, but I think that they forget that like, Part of being scared is the laugh afterwards and the fun right. of being scared. And it's like you watch, yeah. you go on a haunted hayride and like there is that moment someone slams a door and you all jump, but then you're all laughing because they got mm-hmm. you. Like, right. And that is like that thin line. Like as an adult, it's like it's just being part of the gotcha less sure. than feeling the dread that like something yeah. like hereditary yeah. is going to bring into your life. Um, very uh, so you know i i work i don't normally talk about my workplace but i i will because it's relevant to what you're saying matt so this um i work at a university and um one of the things that we were doing for our welcome week was uh, a haunted house so we did uh we did a haunted house or the the ras did a haunted house and uh, in the daytime, when it was, we were still setting everything up. It wasn't completed yet. I went in and walked the place, and I'm like, "Oh, this is cool. It's fun. It's camp. It's you know, it's at a university. The uh, the budget is what it is, and it's they're gonna. I'm sure that when uh, the time comes, it's gonna be appropriately scary for everything. And then at night, um, I, like there there was a huge long line of people just waiting to get in. They had a long line, uh, for the entire like you know two hours, four hours that it was open. And I went through uh, with a coworker to like promote it on our social media. And like, even though I had just gone through it in the daytime and even though I knew what was happening and they walked us through everything, I still felt like, oh, I can hear the yeah. screams. I can hear the loud sounds. I get that. I got that <laughs> roller coaster feeling. And then going through it, like they did a really good job of like, like scaring and it's you know nothing too harsh or anything because like i i know that these are all students but like you know they they timed everything just right and they really got me like i was like screaming and yelling and stuff (laughs) and then my the the point is is that i had a couple interns go through um later and then they came and found me at the other side of the um of the the other side of the complex and they were like i was like what did you guys think because i passed them in line and i said oh yeah it scared me and they know i love scary movies and they immediately yeah. were terrified and then they were like i was like what did you guys think what did you guys think and she was like yeah it was okay like you know it was fun it wasn't like too scary and i was like really like i was pretty scared and like i don't know joe i mean like it was it was all right i'm like you know it's because i'm like older than you and i'm like much closer to death <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm much closer to dying than you are. So, like oh, for man. me, this is like you know, these are actual human yeah. fears that I have. Did, so, I feel like I know the answer for Joshua on this, but I'm curious for you, Joe. Did you ever watch Nathan for You, Nathan Fielder's like Comedy Central show? Yes, I did watch Nathan for You. <laughs> Do you remember the episode where he's trying to fix the haunted attraction, and he's like? He's like, I mean, it's kind of scary, but we want to make your scary so scary that someone sues you for being too terrified. He's like, so we want to make someone believe that they are going to die. (laughs) I actually didn't watch that one. I watched the episode actually aged really poorly now because it was shot like 10 years ago. But the whole concept is that in the middle of the ride or in the middle of the haunted attraction, they turn on the lights and a bunch of people in like, 
cause like you know pandemic gear come and grab you and you're like we've heard word that there's a virus loose in here it can can kill you we have to get you to a doctor right away and like they put you in an ambulance and like drive you around and then drop you off and you're like surprise we're just kidding that's part of the scary house here's a lawyer if you want to sue us for scaring you too much like it's <laughs> the chaos of nathan fielder's stunts yeah. on that show but when you're talking about the haunted attraction i'm like did you make someone think that they were going to die <laughs> not yet not yet um uh, pull us back joshua <laughs> pull us back yeah ranison yeah, ranison yeah because it's like we need to <laughs> um all right so uh, one last thing I want to push in here, uh, even though I said I didn't necessarily want to be too academic about these, because the point is, you know, to like laugh and en- enjoy. Yeah, let's these, let's these learn. Let's learn something. But um, so this piece by Bridget McGovern is called Beetlejuice, a ghostly gothed out 80s fairy tale for the ages, makes a really interesting point that I like that I wanted us to kind of discuss a little bit. So um, something we were talking about earlier uh, on the show of a few episodes ago is like the fifth, like the 80s had like this like 50s, 60s nostalgia. And so you kind of have like Adam and Barbara are sort of representative of that, you know, this sort of nostalgic view of the world. And then Delia and Lydia and Charles kind of come in and, you know, they're this super futuristic 80s, you know, excess uh, representative of that. And so there's a piece in here that says many directors' personal nostalgia directly informs their work, uh, like Tim Burton and John Waters, who seem to revel in it. So Waters skewers the conventions of polite suburban society and presents a reality in which everything is so much better when the weirdos, misfits, outcasts, and nonconformists take over. It's possible to be affectionate, mocking, and relentlessly subversive toward cultural and cultural norms all at the same time. And Burton, and I think you know, particularly with Beetlejuice, has no interest in the revenge of the outcast. His solution to conflict between the past and the present, say, artsy yuppies versus straight-laced squares, is to combine the two sides into a more interesting, weirder definition of normal. And the reason I bring this up is because a few years ago, well, I think I was still, I think I was like 20 or 21, I read uh, Poppy Z. Bright's uh, Drawing Blood, and there's a character in there who's like, talks about how much he loved, um, Beetlejuice until the end when Lydia seems to be stripped of everything that made her like weirdly beautiful. And instead she seems to embrace, um, you know, this sort of normality that uh, Adam and Barbara offer. And that at the underneath all of Tim Burton's weird, wonderful stuff is this like pressure for straight lace normality, like that they're that, that that's the real goal. And for a while that fucked me up and I kind of thought about it, but then in reading this piece, I was like, no, because at the end, yeah, she's in the skirt and all that of the school. Cause she's going to a private school. So she has a uniform, but she's got that big fluffy black skirt under it. Like it's still like, essentially she's there, you know, you know so I'm just curious what people think of that and I, analysis of Beetlejuice and Timber. Until you just started talking about this. I never thought about this and I can, <laughs> Brian told me to fuck off when I brought it up yeah. to him. He yeah. was like, don't ruin Beetlejuice. <laughs> no, so um so the literally the the girl that I was talking about who asked me to send her the 31 movies from from the church youth group, she she has given me the nickname Uncle Matt. And <laughs> I've become really good friends with her parents. And basically, like the the short story is like her parents were both single kids or were both um only children, so she's never had any real family outside of parents and grandparents. So like when she 
attached to me, she literally was like, this is the first time I've had any like slightly older male mentor or, or whatever, like whatever that uncle thing falls into. Um, and the reason I'm talking about this is because she, when I talk to her parents, they're like, she is such a different kid after she met you. And the difference was that she was, she was Daria. Like she was like whatever the 2022 version of Daria Morgendorfer <laughs> was, you know, like she was, she was like class valedictorian. She was like much more mature than the rest of her kids in her grade. And she like had a very small group of friends that she socialized with, but like she felt to quote Beetlejuice weird and unusual. Mm-hmm. And then like when she met, me through the youth group and it's like this guy who's openly talking about his struggles with mental health and his depression and his feeling of like not fitting in and like able to connect on that same feeling of not belonging mm-hmm. like she is still the weird and unusual person that i found so charming to to teach for the last 4 years but she's been able to like use that to her advantage instead of feeling like no one will ever connect. And I feel like that's more what Lydia gets at the end of this movie is that she has a family and the family is the only thing that she has and they do not understand her and probably will never understand her. But in meeting up with the D uh, not the Dietz's the Maitlands, she finds two people who actually appreciate her eccentricities and like nurture that. And, and that makes her able to like go out and not feel like she has to hide from the world mm-hmm. because that's what it is. It's not, I feel like people connect too much of like the goth aesthetic cause she's wearing all black and whatnot. But I think it's more of like, she just doesn't want to be noticed. She wants right. to fade off into the distance because no one will ever connect with her. And then through these two ghosts that live in her house, she is able to feel comfortable stepping out and being who she is. So like you said, she has to wear her school go- go- uh, school girl, school girl uniform, but she does it with her own little eccentricities. Like you said, the big black dress and stuff like that. So I really think that that's the read to me is not that she lost everything that made her weird and unusual, but that she is able to publicly be weird and unusual in a way that she's not hiding in the shadows. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. 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 She is probably like, I mean, cause she says it and you know, what a strange and unusual, but yeah, but still like that, that idea, um, you know, it's not, she's not rejecting it, you know? Um, Yeah. I like that. I I like that. I think that's a really good interpretation. Um, Joe, any, do you have any thoughts on that? (laughs) <laughs> i think matt said all the words like yeah I, that was it, very yeah yeah because at yeah. the end it's like they found a harmony and right. they're they, it's it's a it's an interesting kind of harmony because like you know she's she can relate to um she may not be able to relate to uh delia and charles on certain levels but you know she also knows that like they are and knows and appreciates who they are and what they mean in her life. And so it's this strange kind of harmony that she has with them. And there's yeah. a harmony within them too. Like n- taking Lydia out of the equation. Like I think one of the most charming, funny pieces in retrospect is the idea that like she comes home, mm-hmm. she does well on the test. 
So they let her float up to, to jump right. in the line, but then it cuts to Charles and he hears the music and goes, Oh, Lydia must've aced the test. Like right. they have built this perfect understanding that they just know that she's going to hang out with the ghosts in the house and that they have this great thing and that they still love and care about their daughter. But like, they trust that like that Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin have this on lockdown. You know what I mean? Like they've got no. this, they know what, what yeah. Lydia needs and then they're still there. Also, I just love, uh, I love, we, we do have to mention just very briefly, the statues, the stuff that, that Catherine O'Hara's character is creating and crafting in this house are just so iconic. And then oh, it's amazing. You know, she yeah. pops out the, the beetle snake <laughs> sculpture that she's been working on. Like, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. Yeah. That's the, it's like, I love everything about the, um, the house and like the whole design. I'm like, when we were looking for houses, like, can we find something that we can like turn into that? I would, <laughs> I it's would just delightful. Love, <laughs> if you had, if like, if I could have enough space to literally have someone build me life-size replicants of oh, those yeah. two statues, I would absolutely put them in my house. I'd be so proud to have them displayed. Yeah, no, they're so, so, so cool. You know, this is my art and it is dangerous. <laughs> it's just so, the whole thing, it's just, yeah. It continues to just utterly delight me after, you know, 30 some years of what I guess they just did a 35th anniversary edition. Yeah, I think, it was I a think that's something like right. that, um, which I bought, of course. So, again, I've got Beetlejuice on. I've got like this weird. Do you remember those like Disney cases? How big yeah. they were? I have one of Beetlejuice like that. You somewhere. got a Beetlejuice clamshell somewhere. Yeah. And then I've got the DVD and then I've got the new Blu-ray <laughs> and whatever they think of next. We'll get I'll get that, too. So, um but yeah, uh, it's just, it's such, yeah, it's such a feel good movie. It's like, I just watched it again, but now I just want to go watch it again after this conversation. <laughs> that is a movie that I still, when I was a kid, I watched it three times a week. And I think as an adult, I could still watch it three times a week and not yeah. get sick of it. And there's only a couple movies like that for me, honestly, like that. I feel like I could pop in Clue at any time and be yeah. like, hell yeah, Clue's on. Um, but yeah, no, that's, uh, it's so good. It's so very good. Uh, well, I I am so glad that you joined us for this as somebody who, you know, you, you always are such a good uh, in-between for like Joe and I. <laughs> You're a good balance of like, you know, the extremes of both of our personalities. And, and then, of course, you bring all of your own delicious wonderfulness. So we're so Aww. glad that you joined us today love uh, you to discuss too, Beetlejuice. So, so very much. Any, uh, what are you, what are you, uh, besides horror movie night, which, you know, obviously we, we love and, you know, I've talked about plenty on the show throughout the years. Uh, what, what else are you promoting currently? What, what are your, your other 25 shows you want to mention? Well, well, I, you know, <laughs> the hardest I, I work, working man in podcast. <laughs> I, you know, I do a lot with, uh, with Geekscape. Y'all should come around sometime. And, uh, uh <laughs> and then I, I mean, I guess the biggest one that I'm promoting right now, I've done, you know, hard movie night. Y'all have both been on it. One hit thunder. Both of y'all have been on it. Yeah, um, that's such a fun show. The two big ones that I want to promote, uh, I'll just promote all of them, whatever. There's Christmas 365 with uh, Dylan from, mm-hmm. uh, well, he's just been on a bunch of stuff. He was on Jersey Ghouls. He should be on your guys show sometime too. He's a delight. Uh, yeah. We just, Every week, a different Christmas movie, special, album, etc. Just keeping that Christmas joy going 365 days out of the year. Uh, Before My Time with Gelsey Laurie, uh, which is just a giant celebration of all things vintage. Um, and that goes 
as far back as we've done episodes about the history of Pompeii and like the Egyptian pharaohs or as more modern as like talking about the our top five favorite Twilight Zone episodes from the 60s. So it's, it's kind of just anything. The only rule is that you have to talk about something that was popular before you were born if you come on as a guest. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the big one that's really popping off thanks to TikTok, uh, Weird Algorithm, uh, featuring myself and the bass player of Weedus, uh, who is currently, they are, I mean, I guess they're probably on the tail end at this point, but they were a, a TikTok challenge for a couple months with their song Teenage Dirtbag. And uh, yep. that oh, has, yeah. has really brought some listeners over to the Weird Al podcast, which is cool. Uh, we are going through Weird Al's entire career one song at a time. Uh, so at the time this is coming out, we have just started Dare to be Stupid. Um, but we are also like we took a pause to talk about the Al TV specials that he used to do for MTV in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, so every step of, we're going to do an episode of Amazing Stories at some point where he was the lead actor in an episode of Amazing Stories in the 80s. And every piece of of Al history that we can get our hands on, we're going to dissect and rank it appropriately. Um, so yeah, oh, cool. Yeah, and the new movie's coming out, the biopic with Daniel Radcliffe. Trust and- me, we've sent out some emails, we have not heard back. We're like, please, yeah. we do a weird out podcast. Can we have literally anyone from this movie? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'd be so cool. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to watching it. I, I didn't um I wasn't like I can't say I'm a huge weird owl fan, but I am curious about this film. I think um, it is exactly how a weird owl biopic should be, which is completely made up and a absolute parody of musician biopics oh how cool so, so you've seen it already is it no out? i just oh, just oh, from the trailer oh, 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 just okay, from the trailer okay. so so the infamous joke and i i hope that this is how the movie starts this is just a prediction of mine but vh1 did a behind the music with weird out for weird Al, and he very infamously in the very beginning is like i don't know what you're going to get out of this though because i've never drank i've never done drugs i've never uh really had any crazy affairs with celebrities i've never fought with my band like i have lived such a boring life as a musician and they like go through his origin story i really hope that they kick off this documentary with that clip or this biopic with that clip because the biopic tells the story of like weird al who like was in a a love affair with Madonna and became addicted to hard drugs and like his band disowned him and like like it's like him just hitting all the beats of like Ray and walk the line and like all of those over the top biopics about like the struggles that they went through before they could really love themselves as much as their music. Like, so I'd love for them to straight up start off with the interview from like 15 years ago, where he talked about how boring his life was to give some context. Cause I showed the trailer to my mom and she was like, I didn't know that weird Al date at Madonna. I'm like, cause he didn't mom. It's part of the joke. Like this is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow. That's yeah. I had seen those stories and, you know, I've been Rachel Wood playing Madonna. I'm like, what did weird Al and Madonna do? Today? So I didn't know, you know, again, like I'm ignorant well, of weird Al. So, so that this is, is delightful. I will, I will tell you this because you love Madonna. I do. Ma- I do love Madonna <laughs> is the only artist who created their own weird Al parody. That is like why they keep doing this weird Al Madonna love tryst is that she told his manager, when is he going to make like a surgeon based off of like a virgin? And the manager passed that to Al and he's like, actually, that's a good idea. And he wrote the song. So like, since she's the only artist who's ever had that accessibility 
it was just a very easy target to be like, well, you know how she got the idea to Al because they were fucking. (laughs) (laughs) That's delightful. Oh my gosh. Well, I can't wait to see what bizarre things she posts on social media. Crazy Aunt Madonna. That's how she is now. Um, And crazy Aunt Cher, you know, on social media, the two of them. So I I look forward to that coming out because I'm really curious to see what Madonna has to say about it. Um, Anyways, Matt, well, thank you so much. We'll have links to all of those shows, of course, in the notes. And 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 yeah, please follow Matt and all of his uh, shenanigans because they're amazing. And you're just such a, as always, such a cool dude. And, you know, I'm just so glad that uh, Joe, like, randomly bumped into you somewhere and... <laughs> Like whatever this he was handing was. out trash at Comic Con. <laughs> yeah, I was. That was literally what I was telling people. Free oh, trash. Free so, trash. <laughs> so grateful that you were. So uh Joe, as always. Joshua, awesome. you are and, my gateway uh, into horror. <laughs> oh, this is quite this literally is embody the gateway. Yes. Yeah. Uh all right. Well, uh, good night. <laughs> School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. <laughs> listening to the Geekscape Network.